0: Hey guys, it's Brendan here, registered physiotherapist based out of Vancouver, British Columbia, and I want to wish everyone a happy Easter, hope that you all got a little bit more rest, and perhaps got to catch up with some family or friends over Zoom, FaceTime, or any other platform of your choosing. Apologies for the late podcast, but I got caught up over the long weekend with a couple things I had to get done, but today we are coming to you from the Run Lab, and you're tuning in to episode 4. If this is your first time, feel free to go back and listen to our first three episodes as we go over some pretty diverse topics. Today, however, we will be talking about something that is of utmost importance because it is one of the main contributing factors to whether or not you will be a runner in the long term. And that is the topic of injury prevention and recovery. And while this might not be something that you've spent a lot of time thinking about yet, for those of you who are pushing yourselves either through chasing new personal bests or simply running more often, now's the time to start thinking about it. Many runners of all levels, whether they're beginners or experienced, have been sidetracked by injury. In fact, more than just sidetracked, I'm sure that most of you know experienced runners who say that their running careers have been halted altogether by injuries. Trust me when I say that I see runners every day at work who tell me how an overlooked sprain or tendinitis became something that they regretted not addressing. But as always, for those of you tuning into this podcast for the first time, the information presented today is based on research, clinical experience, and my own thoughts and preferences, and is not intended as a substitute for medical advice. So if you're suffering from a specific injury or condition, please seek help from a registered physiotherapist or other qualified health practitioner so that you can be accurately assessed or diagnosed. So with injury prevention and recovery being such a broad topic, How do we even begin to tackle it? Well, the key to addressing injuries is to recognize that different stages of running put you at risk for different types of injuries. So today we will be defining those stages and addressing the concerns during each of them individually. In every runner's buildup to an event, there is one thing in common, whether your training spans three months or six months. And it's that during this buildup, you're running higher volume than normal. The benefit of this training program is that you have time time to adjust your distance time to build up your conditioning and time to get faster so if you get injured during this time you lose that benefit so how do you stay healthy during this phase when you're smack dab in the middle of your season there's typically a couple of areas where people get injured the first category is what i call the big three and the big three covers improper form improper footwear, and improper conditioning, or lack of a strength routine. Think about it. If you're increasing your mileage or your running intensity during this stage of your training, and your running form isn't correct, you might start to feel pain and put yourself at higher risk of injury, even though you were fine with the form and technique with lighter running volume. This is a really hard thing to correct on your own, though, so it's typically recommended to have a running coach or physiotherapist who specializes in assessing running take a look keep in mind that running technique uh, or proper running technique for you may not be proper running technique for me we all have our differences both in style physiology and previous injuries that will dictate how we should each individually run and in reality it's really difficult to separate proper technique and proper footwear because there's a dynamic interplay between the two now we're not going to get into footwear as much as we did because a couple of episodes back, we talked a lot about shoes, but in a general sense. Without any specifics with regards to injuries or different conditions, we went over some more reputable brands and shoe lines that make for good places to look when considering a new shoe to add to your rotation. But most importantly, we highlighted the features of what you're looking for in a shoe and how it interacts with your running pattern. So getting back into that a little bit, It's sort of like a chicken or egg situation when it comes to foot strike patterns. Some people tend to strike a little bit harder on their heels, whereas some are lighter and land more on their mid or forefoot. Not to say that either is better than the other, but we sometimes have to look at the interaction between foot strike and shoe to determine if there's an issue with technique at all. If your shoe does not support your style of running pattern, then either the pattern has to change or the shoe has to change. For example, if I'm predominantly a heel striker and I wear something that has a sizable heel stack height and drop, it's going to further encourage me to heel strike because it's going to feel cushioned. But If I start to get some sharper knee pains and it feels more into the joint, or maybe you've actually even received an actual diagnosis of some kind of bony injury or a medial tibial plateau injury, I might want to start to speed up my cadence and actually shift my contact point up to my mid or forefoot to prevent the excess strain right at the knee. This would be difficult to do in that shoe though, so that's one quick example of how the interaction between running style and running shoe can affect the incidence of injuries. And by no means am I telling you to throw out your current pair of running shoes or to go out and get a new pair. But I just did want to highlight the importance that footwear can drastically affect the way that you run. And if you notice that a certain type of injury or feeling of strain shows up repeatedly, it might be worth looking at why, because this tends to show up as you build throughout your running season. Lastly, the third component of the big three is the lack of a proper conditioning or strengthening routine. Now, for some, this might seem like common sense, but it is new territory for some of you. For many runners, the time commitment it takes to run is already a significant investment, but I can't stress it enough when I say that you have to also condition your body to do the mileage that you want to do. Even if you're a recreational runner and you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but Brendan, I'm not really looking to push or break a personal best or anything. This still applies to you because the act of running by nature applies stress to different parts of your body that walking and regular life do not the more you run and the faster you run, the stress starts to have an aggregate effect that leads to decreased training performance and subsequently increased risk of injury if you do not have the proper conditioning. Now I know it's a little confusing because some of you might be sitting at home right now thinking that conditioning is the same thing as endurance and you're not completely wrong, but endurance is just a very general term, right? Endurance of what? When we generally talk about endurance, we tend to think of our body's ability to sustain an activity but when i talk about conditioning i'm getting to specifics i'm talking about conditioning your achilles tendon to handle the increase in forefoot striking during faster intervals i'm talking about conditioning your quads to cushion the impact of ramping up your mileage leading up to your first marathon depending on what your goals are it might not be enough to just run more in order to get better at running but why is that? When you run more, you do get more functional practice and your running will improve. But at a certain point, your training will not be able to match up. When we set goals that are beyond our current capabilities, we have to tailor our training to support that improvement. For example, if my goal time requires a pace that I'm that that is faster than what I'm currently capable of running, then my training program should be designed in a way to help me reach the speed that I need And then to subsequently sustain it for long enough periods of time that i reliably feel like i can consistently maintain that pace for the duration of the race and all this has to be done while minimizing the risk of injury much research shows that speed plays a significantly larger role in anatomical stress on the body than distance there are physiological barriers like the four minute mile or a sub one hour and 30 minute half marathon that require intense high volume training to reach. And incorporating a high resistance strengthening program helps the muscle to adapt to the high stresses of fast running. So don't get me wrong, if your goal is to run consistently for exercise, running in and of itself will already yield a lot of improvement. But if your goal is to increase speed, then the best way is to support this with strengthening and conditioning that consists of squatting heavy and often, conditioning muscles and tendons for repetitive impact and incorporating an eccentric or muscle lengthening component so uh, a couple months ago uh, when i was coming off of a personal best in the half marathon uh, i think i got a little bit excited with my training and i started ramping up my distance a lot and i started cranking out a couple weeks where i was doing more than 75 80 kilometers a week and everything was going well at first and then I started getting little pains here and there. Now they started off as a little bit of tightness in a calf or maybe a little bit of tightness in the quad, a little bit of achy uh, achy feelings on the inside of my knee but they weren't anything that I couldn't run through. But lo and behold, the more I ran, the more they started to set in and it actually got me a little bit worried and it actually got so bad to the point where I couldn't upkeep my training program and I had to drop about half my volume. Luckily for me though, by pausing uh, my training a little bit and giving myself like you know two, maybe even three days consistent rest without running, I bounced back a little bit and I gradually built the mileage back up again. So, you know, like this week I'm running about 75 kilometers but the build up back to the 75 spanned about six weeks. And so last but not least, with the high volume training in the months leading up to a race, nutrition and hydration are so important. Now with nutrition, I've always been a big supporter of intuitive eating, and I personally never count macronutrients or anything like that, but I do like to encourage my patients and my clients to adapt principles of healthy eating, particularly if they're training at high volume or intensity. So while we're not going to be giving out recipes or anything like that, I will try to highlight some principles that are important to a runner's diet. And so before you're all like, oh yeah, bread, there's going to be times where you need to load up on carbs, but you won't always be having pasta or pizza to yourself every meal. First and foremost, it's just important to focus on simply eating healthier in general. We're putting our bodies through a lot of strain and stress. So if we're going to expect it to keep up with the rigors of running without breaking down on us, then we need to treat our bodies well with the fuel that we put in and carbs are fuel. So if you're about to go for a long run, you need to make sure that your body has the fuel that it needs. So that means two, three hours beforehand, depending on how quickly you digest, you should be having a meal that is predominantly comprised of carbohydrates. Don't stack on the protein at this meal because the protein will take some time to break down and you want your body's resources to go towards fueling your run, not towards digesting a heavy meal. You know, so formerly people would just carb load to the max the few days leading up to a run, Um, but a lot of studies actually show nowadays that if you're adequately consuming enough carbohydrates throughout your training, that this is not even necessary and it might just simply play more of a mental role in your preparation. It's important to mention that by consuming more carbohydrates, I'm not saying that you should add more carbs to your meals just because you're running, but more so that carbs should be a high proportion of your meals. The last thing you need is just to get heavier and to put more strain on your body and joints as you train at high volume. This means that in the lead up to a hard training run, you're going to want a healthy balanced meal that consists of low glycemic index carbohydrates with slightly below average amounts of protein and low in fats. During the run, however, is a different story. So your body is only able to carry just over, maybe around 21 to 2200 kilocalories. Um, And okay, so just to clarify, so people don't get confused, a kilocalorie, so a kcal is denoted in more scientific labels and documents, but it refers to the amount of energy it takes to increase the temperature of one kilogram of water by one degree Celsius. The kilo prefix refers to a multiplier of 1000. So it would require 1,000 calories, lowercase c, uh, uh, in order to to raise that one kilogram of water by one degree Celsius. On food nutrition labels, you're going to find that calories are most often listed, but the calories denoted here have a capital C, which is used to refer to kilocalories. So somewhere along the line, the capital was dropped. But typically, the terms have begun to be used interchangeably. So when you hear... People mention calories; they actually are talking about kilocalories. Just an FYI. Uh, so where was it? So your body can only store up to 21 to 2200 calories of glycogen, and this is typically only enough to fuel a run that is around 90 minutes or so in length. Um, this means that if you're planning on running longer than 90 minutes, you're going to want to top up those glycogen stores in order to prevent a breakdown in the body. For this, you want high glycemic index carbohydrates that release energy faster so that they can be used while you're still running. This is different than the low glycemic index carbohydrates that you're eating prior to your run. Okay, So examples of high glycemic index carbohydrates can be sweets like gummies or jelly beans or the specially designed sports gels or even isotonic drinks uh, that uh, you see uh, sold all over the place. A quick Google search will tell you that the number of calories and uh, and grams of carbs in different foods, but for reference, one medium banana provides around 30 grams of carbs, while one sports gel gives you just a little bit less than that. And studies will show that approximately 30 to 60 grams of carbohydrates are needed per hour of intense running. So that means you're on the upper range of the 60 grams if you're running really, really hard, whereas if you're running a little bit slower or a little bit shorter distance, then you can be on the lower range of that 30 to 60. So now this brings us to post run. Now after a hard run, your body is starved of its glycogen stores and there's a window of time to replenish this before your body looks to other sources. So to prevent breakdown of muscle for this purpose, you're gonna want to get some carbohydrates in you within 20 to 30 minutes. And this is gonna be the good kind of carbs. So you can't just eat some candy afterwards. This is gonna be like a yam, maybe like a a, a, a protein bar or something like that that has some sort of like um, carbohydrates in it that's a little bit uh, slower digesting. Um, After that, then you can source out a full meal that includes protein uh, within one hour. With regards to water intake, This is where we're going to ruffle some feathers because contrary to popular belief, more water is not necessarily better. Now we're probably all very familiar with the dangers of not taking in enough water, but a lesser known risk is when you take in too much water. So as we sweat the water that leaves our body, it drags a bunch of salt with it. And when we lose that salt, we lose the exact fuel that helps our muscles contract and relax again and again and again repeatedly. This leads to a tightening up of the muscle fibers, increased friction, cramping spasms, and an increased risk of strains. So, what happens when we overhydrate, however, is almost the exact same thing. So, how is this possible? Well, when we take in too much water, our bodies can't get rid of the excess quickly enough. So, this causes the amount of water in the bloodstream to increase, and that dilutes those important salts. So, relatively speaking, it's eerily similar to losing those salts to begin with but there is one more additional factor to take into consideration and i say this in order to spread awareness but this isn't intended to scare you it's simply put that research is showing more and more athletes specifically runners are prone to drinking too much water rather than too little you know we all read about the heat exhaustion and heat stroke and dehydration and so we're all really good with staying hydrated Uh, And when the water volume in our bloodstream increases, the body tries to compensate by drawing it into nearby cells in the body, and this can actually cause them to swell up. If this happens in the brain, there can be very serious consequences. And another complicating factor is that many athletes experience this low concentration of salt in their bodies, uh, more scientifically called hyponatremia, and they think that they are dehydrated and they drink even more water. Luckily for us, the solution is quite simple. Only drink when you are thirsty. Not when you think you'll need water soon or not drinking water just in case there isn't another water station. Only when you are actually thirsty. There are also many drinks on the market now that are called isotonic drinks, which you might have heard me mention a little bit earlier. And these try to mimic the concentration of salts that we should have in the body so that it doesn't affect the concentration when they are consumed. Now, we spent the last while talking about the buildup, so I want to transition slightly and address the snapshot in time that sandwiches your regular runs, the infamous pre- and post-run routine. Now, everyone has a slightly different routine, but hopefully no matter what your routine is, it checks off some boxes that I feel are important components that help to minimize the risk of injury and help you perform to your best so that you can get the best out of your runs. So as you're getting ready to go out and run, an often overlooked component is trigger point release. Now trigger point release is the act of applying a firm and consistent pressure to a tight part of a muscle until it lets go. A term that you're more familiar with might be the term foam rolling. So when you release the tense part of the muscle, it allows for the entirety of the muscle to be continuous so that it can function in a uniform fashion which decreases the risk of injury. By rolling you also increase the effectiveness of passive stretching and you increase circulation to that area. The goal of this routine though is mostly to make sure that you can achieve adequate range of motion to safely run minimizing injury and maximizing performance. Passive stretching at this point should be in the ballpark range of 4 or 5 repetitions of 10 to 15 second holds per major muscle group. Now a lot of people go from this stretching routine right into their warmup run. Um, And if it's a slower or shorter run, then there might not be a problem. But if the intensity is going to be demanding, then it's highly recommended to work on activation drills first. Now, a quick Google search can tell you about the ABCDs of running, which is a universal way that we break down the running pattern. So we follow along on a runner's right leg. A marks the uh, the spot where the hip bends and the knee comes up. So sort of like high knees. B marks the point where the leg propels itself down towards the ground into the contact phase. And as the foot makes contact with the ground and you start to straighten and extend your hip, you push back and drive your momentum forward in what we call C. Lastly, D marks the recovery of that cycle back towards the start position by bending the knee, loading up before the next stride. Other muscle activation drills can involve exercises that focus on the coordination of the push-off of the hip, knee, and ankle joints together, uh, or they can isolate muscles involved at the maximum part of each joint's range of motion. As you finish your run, however, the focus should shift towards preventing contractures and minimizing recovery time. So most of your time post-run should be dedicated towards prolonging your passive stretches, so somewhere along the lines of 2-3 repetitions of 30-40 to 40 seconds and calming down inflammation if there is, for example, visible swelling or redness. Ensuring that you have a proper cool down also ensures that the circulation slowly returns to baseline levels, which is better for the clearance of waste products that are produced during running, Uh, Whereas if you stop abruptly, this encourages the pooling of blood, which prolongs the recovery process, increases uh, the soreness that you feel the day after, and just makes it harder for you to stick to a consistent training program. And there you have it. I do hope that today's podcast has shed some light with regards to injury prevention and recovery tips and tricks for you. And in closing, there are likely many components here that you do practice in your own run training but probably also some components that you don't. And while no one is going to be perfect, my hopes are that by making you aware of these deficient areas, you can spend more time targeting them and filling in the gaps that cause the small aches and pains that are precursors to more severe injuries. As I was mentioning at the beginning of the podcast, many experienced runners wish that they could have addressed these issues earlier to avoid the headaches of chronic injury. So learn from the mistakes of others and remember to always listen to your body and deviate from your plan if you need to. After all, improving as a runner is a marathon and not a race. And that's all for now, folks. Thanks for tuning into the Run Lab. My name once again is Brendan Ipp, and I'm first and foremost a runner and registered physiotherapist based out of Vancouver, British Columbia. If you ever have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to email me at info at ip-physio.com. Until next time.